Well, hello everybody. It is so awesome to have the privilege and opportunity of just sharing my heart with you, sharing the word with you, and just being together. Um, my greatest prayer this morning is that you don't look at a pulpit and a person uh, and try and elevate a gifting or feel like you're going to get something super special because it's coming from this place, but that actually you would see this as a time of us coming together around the word, just getting encouraged by what the Lord said. It's not what I'm saying, it's what the Lord's saying. Uh, And at at the end of the day, I really don't have anything to give you uh, other than Jesus. And so if it's not Jesus, then there's no point in standing up here anyway. You know, I'm learning to spend most of my time preparing for times like this, actually just emptying myself. Uh, not really trying to prep a great sermon. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm done with great sermons. Um, I think that we've been through a time as a church where we needed that. Uh, God was busy uh, teaching us and building theology in the church, but we've come to a time and a season right now where what we really need is the Holy Spirit demonstrated in power in and through our lives. Um, and so when I've prepped for today, I honestly have spent more time on my knees just saying, Jesus, it has to be all of you, otherwise I won't get up. And we have to position ourselves in that place, you know, even in your own life, whatever it is that God's called you to do, it's kind of got to be this approach of, Lord, if it's me, then there's no point because apart from you, I can do nothing, John 15. So really, if if you're not moving me, I'm not going. Uh, And just allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us in our day-to-day lives with that. So my greatest prayer, honestly, is that you would look at me today and not see Connor Blair Lawther, but that you would see uh, somebody that's in love with Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to just speak through me. I I really do feel in the last two weeks, the Lord's done something in my heart that uh, has has changed me, I know, inside. Um, But it's also something that's awakened me to the reality of what he wants us to walk in. Um, And uh, basically what happened was Jesus preached the gospel to me again, uh, and I've got born again, 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 again. Yeah. And uh, what I mean by that is, to, to be born again really doesn't mean to, to say a prayer. It really doesn't mean um, to, to have a moment with God. That's not what being born again means. To be born again means to come out of something, an old uh, existence, and into a new one. Um, it's very, very important that we understand 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says that the oldest passed away, all that, but we're a new creation in Christ. It doesn't say a slightly better person, upgraded person, uh, better than it used to be. It says new creation. It doesn't even say new person. Uh, it says new creation. And uh, I really, for a long time, uh, those of you who know my story and my journey, uh, you know, I, I know what I am without Jesus. <laughs> I'm pretty fallen and broken and, and I don't really have anything to give you. Um, and, and I realized that in my process of understanding the gospel, I came through all of that. I had an encounter with Jesus and, I, and I, there, were, there were parts of my life that instantaneously were changed in my own heart. And there were other parts that there was a journey and a process to that and that's all of us go through that. But I didn't realize that my perspective around the gospel, even though I was using words like new life, new birth, transformed, changed, things like that, I didn't realize that actually in the back of my head, the way that I really was looking at this was that Connor Blair Lawther was born into a great Christian family, uh, parents are in ministry, and from the very beginning saw God move and do incredible things. During that time also saw other aspects of the church that are not really godly things that kind of, I had to wrestle with in my heart even at a young age, and then go through this place where I begin to make these mistakes, fall, go through this horrible time where you realize how actually uh, pathetic and empty and broken you are 
without Jesus. And I came through this whole thing and then I had this moment with God uh, where I really felt the Lord changed my heart and I got born again and I gave my life to Jesus. Not just a little prayer, gave my life to Jesus. And then, and then through that time, there was so much in my life that the Lord changed that was amazing. And so I viewed my life as kind of like Connor Blair Lauder was a terrible dude, got saved and Jesus made him a whole lot better than he used to be. And the reason why I say that is because I look at my life and I still saw areas of my personality that weren't transformed, that weren't changed. But then I realized, oh, hold on a second. Jesus didn't come to change your life. See, we've used change, it's a changed life, but it's not a changed life, it's a death. It's an exchanged life. And so the Lord gave me this revelation, I felt like I got born again, 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 again. Because the reality is the gospel came to life in such a way that God began to reveal things to me. And I'll just share this, this might encourage you. The Lord spoke to me and I actually went to my mom and said this, I think I've made her giggle a bit. I said, mom, do you realize that you didn't name me? And you know, she's like, no, I know, God named you whatever. And I was like, okay, that took away the punchline. But anyway, um, but I was like, you know, God, God named me and used you as a vessel to, to put that name on this little vessel that I was born into. And uh, if you, the meaning of my name, and I'd encourage you to look up the meanings of your, your names, but the meaning of my name, the spiritual meaning is a stronghold of God. And so I realized God named me Connor, stronghold of God. That's what you're destined to walk in, right? And then I'm, I'm born with this tag, Blair Lawther, and that's just so that they can tell me apart from all the other Connors in the world, right? But for such a long time, that became my label and my identity. Then there's a moment that happens where you give your life to Jesus and a death happens. Connor Blair Lawther, as everybody knew him, no longer exists. It's just according to this book. He no longer exists, he dies. And Connor, stronghold of God, predestined before the foundations of the world to be a son of God, is suddenly born and made new and put inside this vessel. And so yes, you look at this flesh and it, does, it hasn't changed, it looks the same, but everything inside of me has changed, right? And so this begins to happen and what we have not understood as the church is if you don't believe and understand that process of the gospel, that divine exchange, the death that's taken place, then what you will find is you have an experience where you feel the newness of life, but you don't live a life of victory because you're actually still stuck in the old behaviors and mannerisms and parts of your personality that used to exist because you think that you're actually just a better person in Jesus than you were without him. But you're not, you're dead. And I really believe that what we've struggled with as a church is that we don't really know what faith is anymore. We went through a season where we were like, every preach was on faith and we got like faith out. It was like, it just preached faith at us. But it was faith as a tool for what God can give you. Faith as a tool for how he can change your life. If you believe you can get that job promotion, you can do this, you can do that, if you believe. And so faith was preached as a tool to achieve the things that God has for you, has blessed you with. Not actually realizing that faith is the key that, that ignites and turns on this vehicle of a brand new creation that's called to rule and reign on the earth. So faith isn't my tool to go and get the blessing. The blessing has been given to me. Faith activates who I am in Jesus to walk in the finished work of the cross. It's like God gives you this beautiful Ferrari 
and you've got this Ferrari and you open the door and you sit in there and it is awesome and you love every part of it and it's brand spanking new and you used to, you used to be a mini, you know, this old little, little old mini thing that couldn't really do anything and now you're in this insane, powerful uh, Ferrari. I don't know much about cars, but that sounds cool. <laughs> and, uh, and then you sit there and you're kind of like, well, this is great, but you, you're sitting in that car and you're not going anywhere and you'll never know what that car can actually do until you take the keys, put the keys in the ignition and turn the engine on. And so what we've got right now is a whole bunch of Christians that are sitting in this beautiful new creation, but they're getting disillusioned because they're not going anywhere and they're starting to treat the Ferrari like an old mini. When actually God's saying, hello, I've got the keys for you. If you'll take the key, put the key in the ignition and ignite this thing. It's called faith. It's called believing. Do you know what it means to believe? You should really look up the definition of words. Uh, Max and I always talk about it as the gospel of definitions. Because if you go and actually look up the definitions of words, suddenly you realize what everything means. Do you know what it means to believe? Believe means to accept something as true. And then it puts a tag on with or without proof, and I love that little tag. But the, the basic meaning is to accept something as true. So what does it mean to believe that you're now a new creation in Jesus? It means to accept that that's the reality now. See, here's the thing. To believe means to accept that. So you accept that you're a new creation, but now there's an action to that believing, which is called faith, which means how am I going to act and respond and what's the action of my life going to be now that I've accepted that as my reality? I really think we've got so many Christians today and, and I'm putting myself not today because God's changed my heart, but I've been in this process of like, we, we, we live mountain to valley lifestyles even when we think we're not because the reality is we still relate to ourselves, areas of our lives according to our old fallen nature and we haven't accepted the fact that it is a new creature, a new creation, it is brand spanking new. Everything is new. And here's the thing, or you go, what happens if I make a mistake again? You know, this is the thing about, about believing and accepting something as true. If you make a mistake and you act out in a way that's according to your old nature, because you have believed and accepted that you are a new creation, your response and your default is immediately to go back to what you've accepted as true. Not to stay with what isn't true and try and figure out why you're back in this thing and stuck in it, but rather to turn your attention and your focus back to truth and speak that over your life again and then act out in faith and, and put yourself out there, risk uh, according to the reality of what God's done in your heart. What does that look like practically? You make a mistake. Now you don't stay in your mistake where guilt, shame, condemnation, and fear begins to thrive and breed in your life because you will never get out of it. You get stuck there. What you need to do is actually when you, when you find yourself, even if it's a thought or a reaction or a whatever it is that you, when you find yourself there, the default needs to be that I come back to the truth of who God says that I am, what I've accepted to be true. And then I act out in faith and I say, thank you that this is who I am, Lord. Because of that, this is how I'm gonna live. And I make a decision that I know will be empowered by the Holy Spirit because faith activates the Holy Spirit in your life. And so I actually, I'm not even meant to be talking about this. I'm supposed to talk about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Luke chapter nine, verse 23. You guys know the scripture. Jesus says, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, okay? 
I just want you to understand something. This scripture here is not talking about salvation. This scripture is talking about discipleship. What Jesus is explaining here is not the process to get saved. This is what happens now that you're, you're saved and walking with Jesus. This is how your salvation is outworked. So he, he starts off with deny yourself. Do you know that to deny yourself, it means to forsake yourself. It means to disown. So it, here's the thing that we need to understand. It's certainly not saying you need to deny your selfish things. There's a big difference between denying your selfish things and denying yourself. What we do as Christians is we elevate somebody that's denying things of the self and we go like, wow, that guy must be an insane Christian because he fasted for 21 days. Or he did, so, or he, you know what, he actually sold all of his stuff. And that's great. Those are all expressions or whatever, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. See, he's talking about denying yourself, denying your self-nature, denying uh, the, the, the sinful nature, the worldliness within yourself, right? And then he says something so interesting. He says, and, and take up your cross daily. And we've looked at the scripture from the perspective of, of enduring suffering, being prepared to die for Christ. Take up your cross. Be prepared to suffer for Jesus. Now, I'm, take nothing away from those things because they're all uh, valid. But the cross is symbolic of one thing and one thing alone, death. That's what the cross symbolized back then. If you were going to the cross, you're dead. That's what it meant. So Jesus is saying, deny yourself, disown the old, disown yourself, self-nature, who you used to be, forsake that. And then he says, take up your cross daily, which means actually to take up the death of Jesus that we were, uh, we co-died with him, we were co-buried with Jesus. Take that up daily. And then he says, follow me. And that part there is essentially the life of Christ being expressed through us because you can't live an obedient life. It has to be the obedience of Christ in and through you. See, we've got to get to this place in the gospel where we understand that it really, 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 really is not about you. And you really, really, really can't do this in your own strength. And the harder that you try, the more you're gonna fail, which is gonna produce frustration in your life and you're gonna get frustrated. Frustration is gonna produce disappointment and then you disappoint yourself from what God's called you to do. And the next thing you find yourself backslidden, walking in a completely different direction, having nothing to do with church or relationship with God. And the problem is you are so disillusioned in your mind that you've justified it with so many reasons, forgetting that you will stand before him one day. And it all comes down to one simple thing. If you would allow yourself to just let go of your own efforts and put your faith and your trust and your confidence in God again, he'll do it. That's why Jesus starts off with deny yourself, disown yourself. You have to come to the realization that this is no longer who I am. I forsake that. It is no longer who I am. Then I take on the, the cross. I take Every day, I, I take on the death that happened. And you know what's amazing is that that doesn't mean we go and, and try and kill ourselves every day. Just so you know. The death that we're talking about is not, let's use our brains. Like we're not trying to kill ourselves every day or trying to make ourselves suffer or anything like that. We're, it's a faith thing of putting faith in the finished work of Jesus, putting your faith in the fact that you were there that day when Jesus died on the cross. 
And guess what? You died with him, you were buried with him, and you were raised with him. You need to go read Romans 5, 6, 7, 8. Read that whole uh, progression of, of chapters. It's incredible. But you've got to realize that by faith, you put yourself on that cross with Jesus. And you've got to believe, accept it as true, take it up every day and say, thank you, Lord, that the old guy that I'm denying, that I'm forsaking, he is dead. He was put on the cross with Jesus. He died. He was buried with Christ. But guess what? Somebody new came out of the grave with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit inside of him, enabled with the whole fullness, the presence of the Lord within him so that he could live the life God called him to live. So I take that up every day. And then from that place, I follow Jesus. See, following Jesus without that first two things is impossible. You'll never be able to do it. And the harder you try, the more you'll be disappointed. Let's quickly, I want to jump to Matthew 11 very quickly. How am I doing? Yeah. <clears throat> Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, following Jesus, knowing the Lord, walking in relationship with the Lord, but also doing the work of the Lord, which is what we're called to do as sons and daughters, is to do the work of the Lord. It's very hard when you do it on your own. See, when, when it talks about my yoke is easy, a lot of scholars actually uh, talk about it as the student-rabbi uh, kind of relationship. So if you were yoked to somebody, you, you were learning from them. But it was also this thing that they put on, uh, on the cattle, oxen. Um, and isn't it interesting that a yoke is always made for two? And so Jesus talks about his yoke being easy and the picture that I get is I'm going, wow, Jesus wants us to be yoked to him. We don't have to plow the field on our own. He doesn't want us to do it that way. He wants us to do it with him because that yoke fits perfectly and, and Jesus carries the weight. See, a burden in life becomes light when you want to do it. You know, it's interesting Sorry about this, mom, but when I was a child, if my mom told me to do the dishes, I did not want to do the dishes, right? And so doing the dishes was like, the whole house needs to know how I am hating doing the dishes right now, right? But then I got married, and sometimes I would watch, <laughs> what did I say? Yeah. Um, then, I got, then I got married, and I would watch, my wife would, would work really hard. And I'd see, like, I'd come home, whatever, and she's cleaned everything. And then it's the weirdest thing, I can't explain it, but suddenly I had this desire to do something, like wash the dishes. Yeah. And so suddenly I washed the dishes and I, and I remember the one time she was at work and I'm, I'm washing it just in time before she gets back because I wanted to come home to this clean kitchen. And it was amazing because I, the whole time I wasn't thinking, oh my gosh, I hate washing dishes. I was going, I, need to, I wanna do these dishes well. I wanna put them away so that it's all nice and neat so when she gets back, it's gonna be great. I wanted to do it. So it wasn't a burden anymore. 
See, when we do the work of the Lord with Jesus, yoked to him, and a yoke that fits perfectly that was designed for me and him, and he's carrying most of the weight because that's what Jesus does. And then together we're saying, now let's do this. So the work of the Lord is not, uh, Connor, I want you to do your best for me. The work of the Lord is Jesus saying, Connor, I wanna do my best in you. So let's do this together and let's begin to plow the field. And as we begin to do that, the burden is light because I want to do it. Because Jesus is awesome. And he's gonna do it. So guess what? Jesus is building his church and we are yoked to Jesus, which means what a joy that we get to partner with Jesus in building his church together, but he's gonna do it. I have confidence in the fact that he's building it. So the burden is light. It's not a heavy burden to come to church, to invest my life into others, to love people, to make sacrifices for people. It's, it's light, it's easy. Why? Because I'm yoked to Jesus. So even following Jesus is easy when you're yoked to him rather than trying to do it in your own strength. So I believe that there's three types of believers. John three believers, John four believers, and John seven believers. Nothing wrong with them, but they're all, they, they operate in different levels of, of fullness. You've got John three believers who have experienced the new birth and they've received the Holy Spirit, which means you've been born again and you've received the Holy Spirit inside of you, but they never seem to move on from that. And so they're stuck in this place of, I've had this born again experience, I know that I'm saved, I know Jesus is inside of me, and I've received the Holy Spirit, I believe that he's inside of me, but my life doesn't really show anything of that because I'm stagnant. So I'm kinda just getting along day to day to day with my stuff, ready to just go home and be with Jesus, or kinda just hoping that somehow he's gonna just fix everything, and, and so you stay in, just this experience of new birth. Then you've got John 4 Christians who are satisfied by Jesus and they realize that there's a spring within them welling up to eternal life. And so they, they walk with the Lord and they feel the Lord within them and they're satisfied by Jesus and he's welling up within them and they're drinking of the living waters and it's beautiful. And that's, you see them and they're just, they're amazing people. They're happy, they're satisfied, they're strong. They're just, they're living their lives faithful to the Lord and it's beautiful. And then you get John seven, which is the Christians where they've allowed themselves to mature as believers where now rivers of living water are not just welling up inside of them, but they're flowing out to others. And these are the believers where you begin to see demonstration of signs, wonders, miracles, the supernatural, the glory of God on their lives being expressed to everybody else. And it has nothing to do with rank or level or anything like that. It has to do with faith. It has to do with the process of allowing God to strip you and empty you of everything else and possess you. Does that make sense? And so really we have to come to the realization that we cannot live our lives without the Holy Spirit. And that the Christian life was designed to be a spirit-filled life, not just a spirit-influenced life. See, most of us understand that the Holy Spirit's inside of us. Most of us understand that he's speaking to us all the time. And on the, on the odd occasion when we're actually listening and he guides us and we act and we go, whoa, that was amazing. I, I responded in obedience to the Holy Spirit and look what he did, incredible. But the other 90% of your life is generally just so influenced and affected by everything around you. Your decisions are made based on circumstances and stresses and anxiety and all these different things that are coming at you. 
And so we live these lives that are occasionally influenced by the Holy Spirit, but kind of just up and down, and it's exhausting. And you'll find yourself in a place like of frustration because you're going, man, all I want is this, but I seem to get stuck in this, and why can't I find my way there? And all this kind of nonsense, because we don't understand that we were actually called to live Spirit-filled lives. So I wanna just share a little bit around what that means. And here's something that's so important to understand. When you gave your life to Jesus, you received the Holy Spirit. You received him. The danger is that we are so feelings orientated that we are led by fluctuating feelings and we don't understand that the way of the gospel, the way of the kingdom is faith. So feelings follow truth. Truth doesn't follow feelings. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, you gave your life to Jesus. You have believed and accepted what Jesus has said to be true about who you are now in him. That means that you've received the Holy Spirit and you've got to by faith, believe it, thank him for it and walk in it, trusting that the feeling follows the truth, not waiting for a feeling that maybe doesn't come when you expect it and all of a sudden now you're questioning whether he's inside of you or not. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you give your life to Jesus and the person next to you vibrates and flies across the room and whatever. It's like, whoa, holy moly. And you're like, I didn't feel a single thing. But I've just given my life to Jesus. Does the Holy Spirit not want to be with me? You've just actually disconnected yourself from the Holy Spirit based on feelings rather than actually saying, Lord, thank you that you're inside of me. See, do you want to know how you're in faith? Because you start to thank God for things even before you might have experienced it. So you wake up and you go, I'm really not feeling God, but I know that he's inside of me and I've accepted it to be true. So thank you that you are filling me today. My entire vessel and being is filled with you and everywhere I go, Jesus is gonna be leaked out everywhere. And you just, you thank him for it. And then here's the important thing, because this is what most Christians do. We thank God for it, but then we act as if it hasn't happened. See, faith isn't just thank you, Lord, that that's happened. Faith is thank you, Lord, that this is the truth about who I am. And because that I believe that that is who I am, I'm going to act this way. And when I do that, Holy Spirit goes and enables you to do that and strengthens you and equips you and enables you. And that's why you can't do anything in your own strength, but he's called you to actually take steps of faith and walk out your, your, the gospel in your life. And the Holy Spirit is the one that makes it real, that brings the power, that brings the divine enablement to everything that you do. We've got so many Christians that are just waiting for God to just do something and God's saying, would you take a step? Would you act out in faith and watch how the Holy Spirit begins to breathe on that? Does that make sense? I think it's really important that we understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. That the Holy Spirit is not a lucky charm and he's not your pet. The Holy Spirit isn't a little toy that God gave you uh, to, you know, help you along with whatever you're gonna do or a little tool or a little weapon or whatever. The Holy Spirit is God. It's the very spirit of Christ that's been put inside of you. And he's inside of you for a purpose that's not in your control. So you've got to understand that the Holy Spirit is inside of you for a purpose, for a reason that God has already set. You don't get to dictate what the Holy Spirit is inside of me to do. See, we, we do a lot of stuff in the spirit. Where's the camera? In the spirit 
that we call Holy Spirit that isn't. Why? Because we think that we can lead the Holy Spirit in what he must do. And so what we would rather do is say, this is what the Lord is saying, Holy Spirit, get it done. Rather than actually going, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? What are you, I am the vessel, use me, you speak, and I will act based on what you're gonna do. That's what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. That's why we learn, and this is something that God's teaching me, that's why we learn to be slow to speak, quick to listen. It's very easy for me to think I know what needs to happen or know what needs to be said and wait for the Holy Spirit to do that and then wonder why there's no power or weight on it rather than actually saying, what are you saying, Lord? Do you want to say anything now? Do you want to do anything now? And I'm, I'm yielding myself as a vessel to be used by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit in your life is really there to do three things. You wanna write this down or in your phones or whatever. The Holy Spirit fills you to do three things. The first one is so that you will realize and be aware of the presence of Jesus in your life. That's the first thing that the Holy Spirit comes to do. The Holy Spirit fills you. I'm talking about fills, just so you know what, what fill means. It actually means to, there's no more room for anything else. He occupies your entire vessel and being. He does that so that you become aware of the presence of Jesus in your life. The Holy Spirit is on the earth to glorify and exalt Jesus. And he wants to do it in and through you. And so you've become the body of Jesus. You've become the hands and feet of Jesus, the mind that Jesus wants to use. Do you understand that? You were bought with a price. He actually has a purpose for you. And so Holy Spirit fills you so that you would be aware of his presence in your life. He wants to glorify and exalt Jesus in your life. He wants you to live in the light of the truth rather than in fluctuating feelings. It's by faith. Number two, he recreates the holy life of Jesus in us. This one gets me so excited is that what he's asking you to do is to what we shared earlier, deny yourself, take up your cross. You need to face the cross. You need to die. That's gotta happen. When that happens and you've been raised into newness of life with Jesus, the Holy Spirit occupies your vessel. He fills you. Your spirit and Holy Spirit have become one. You're a son or a daughter. But you also have this thing called the soul and the flesh. And it's a vessel while you're here on the earth. And so what he wants to do is fill your vessel. So just because you don't feel the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that he's not one with you. He is one with you. He's one with your spirit. What happens is we fill our vessels with so much junk from external situations, circumstances, influences, whether it's movies, TV, music, whatever, uh, work things, words of people that are spoken at us or over us. We fill our vessel with all of that. And so our soul is occupied with things that are against the spirit and our flesh is acting out because we've indulged it with a whole bunch of stuff that makes it want to do worldly things, right? It's just a vessel. It's not you. So just because your flesh wants to do something doesn't mean that you actually wanted to do it. What? Go and read Romans 7. That's why Paul can say, I do the things that I don't want to do and the things I do want to do, I don't do. It's like, what the heck is going on? And then he goes, who will save me? this wretched man that I am, thanks be to God. Because I'm not gonna do it, he is. What I've gotta understand though is that this vessel, this, the soul and the flesh is, is created to be filled. And you are filling it with stuff every day. 
You get to choose what you fill it with. And so what, we, what we're designed for is for our spirit man to have authority and to rule over our soul and our flesh. And so what happens is the vessel becomes the way in which we express Christ in us. The reason why we often struggle with that and don't see it is because we're led by external carnal things. And so what happens is our spirit gets silenced and that's why you feel like God's not speaking to you or you just can't hear God. What really needs to happen is you need to silence your soul, empty the vessel, bring your flesh into submission again to the Holy Spirit. Guess how we do that? No way, by faith. people go, dude, I tried that. I said it a million times. You can say it as much as you want. Faith means that you put your trust and confidence in him, which means I just need to say it once. And I believe it. And I said, that's the reality. And then what I do is I act out on that based on that truth. So he recreates the holy life of Jesus in us. He manifests the life and nature of Jesus in you and through you. The Holy Spirit does that. You do not have to bite your lip and work really hard to make sure that you just don't tell a lie today or you just don't, you know, whatever. You don't have to do that. What you have to do is yield to the Holy Spirit and present yourself to God, Romans 6, as one who's been brought from death to life. Present yourself before him as an instrument of righteousness. Present yourself. That's real simple. That's every day I wake up and I deny myself, take up my cross and say, Lord, I'm ready to follow you. I am presenting myself to you so that you can come and fill me, that you can come and occupy this vessel so that the whole world can know that Jesus is inside of me and he loves them. There is a purpose to why the Holy Spirit fills us. The Holy Spirit doesn't fill you so that you can shake and fall on the ground. See, what happens is we don't understand this little flesh is very weak. And so sometimes when the glory of God wells up inside of me and begins to overflow on my body, sometimes this vessel can't handle it. And that's why somebody falls over on the ground or, or something like that happens. It's because your body is actually really, really pathetic. And the glory of God is just so incredible that sometimes you will crumble under the glory of God. That's beautiful, that's okay. But that's not the purpose of why the Holy Spirit fills you. The purpose of the Holy Spirit in you is to recreate the holy life of Jesus in you. Holiness comes from walking with the Holy Spirit, not from trying to be something or trying to do something. Third one, he produces the mighty works of Jesus in your life. Now, when I say that, the first thing that probably pops in your mind is signs, wonders, and miracles. And absolutely, yes, it's the Holy Spirit in and through our lives that produces those mighty works of Jesus. You can't heal anybody, right? I've tried a couple times. And sometimes it doesn't work. So it makes me aware of the fact that it's not me. It has to be the Holy Spirit, right? So he comes to produce that, but it's not just signs, wonders, and miracles. He wants to produce the mighty works of Jesus in your life. What that means is that you can live a life in the glory of God, which means that there is something so supernatural about your life that it makes no sense to the world. The way that you live your life, the way that you do things, and the way you make your decisions, it's just so out there and crazy and wild because you know the Holy Spirit produces the mighty works of Jesus in your life. Jesus needs to pay taxes and so he tells Peter to go and catch a fish and find the taxes in the fish's mouth. That is nuts. It's a way that is just totally not how we think as a society in the world. It's the mighty works of Jesus. And if you're, if you're with Jesus and you're around him, just like his mother was, you expect that. And so she just comes to him and says, hey, just turn, sort out the wine situation. And he turned the water into wine. You know, it's like, 
Imagine a, imagine a group of believers that lived with that kind of expectation where troubles come and stuff comes or whatever and, and our response isn't to freak out and panic. Our response actually is first and foremost expectation and confidence for the Holy Spirit to do something wild. It's like, hold on a second. Whoa, hardship has come. Oh my word, you know, people are freaking out or whatever. We come and say, whoa, guys, hold on. Get ready, brace yourself. Watch. I'm not gonna do anything. I can't do anything, but Holy Spirit's gonna do it. And if he chooses to use me as a vessel, come on, yes, thank you, Lord. But he's gonna do it either way. And so my life is dependent on him. See, this is what it means to be a Christian, just so you know. What a Christian is, is to be like Christ. What if, what if, what if the primary reason for the church's existence isn't together? What if it's to be like Christ? What if we gather because the more Christ-like people there are together, the more the world gets to see a demonstration of what he looks like. So what if actually the, the perspective of the church should be invasion, not taking away from the fact that we, we gather, we do gather, but the reason for gathering is not just because this is our primary purpose as a church is to gather. Our primary purpose as a church is to invade but when I come together with a whole bunch of people that are like Jesus and Christ-like, I'm encouraged, I'm stirred up. That's why the church is actually built around commandments like love one another. Because when we do that, there is refreshing, there is uh, encouragement and, and fresh fire and we, we build one another up and we become this demonstration of his body. We become the embodiment of Jesus. That doesn't mean we become an institutional perfect system that takes the principles of God and implements them in a nice structured way. What it means is that we become a living embodiment of Jesus on the earth. Everywhere that we go, it doesn't matter where we are, what we're doing, where we gather, we are a living expression of Jesus Christ. And as we do it together, all these diverse, incredible uh, giftings and expressions of God are exploding in one place. And that's called revival because it brings dead things to life. And that's why you can bring a city, a dead city to life again because the body of Christ is bringing the life of Jesus in all its expressions and forms. But guess what? You can't do that without the Holy Spirit. There's, there's six ministries of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if I'm gonna get through them today because I need to get to something else, but uh, I might get to that sometime when I share. But one of the things that's so important for us to understand is actually that the Holy Spirit makes us part of Christ's body. Hold on a second. I was called up to stand in front of the church and I was told that I'm now a member of the church. You know, I've signed the forms, I've filled in the visitor's card. I'm on the database. That's not what makes you a part of the body. See, what we've done in church, and just by the way, church is about to get wild because we're about to flip everything on its head. But what's so exciting is that Holy Spirit is the one that makes you part of the body. So you can't actually be a part of the body if you don't have Holy Spirit inside of you. Oh, people are going, give me proof. Let me give you proof, okay. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Holy Spirit since the same Holy Spirit fills each life. For by one Holy Spirit, we were baptized, immersed into the body of Christ. By one Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit fills every single one of us. And it's the same Holy Spirit that we all drink from. So guess where oneness comes from? No. The Holy Spirit. 
How am I one with you? How am I one with my brothers and sisters? Because you have the same Holy Spirit inside of you. I have the same Holy Spirit inside of me. We were both baptized into the body through the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is the very element with which we are baptized. And so we, we, we're both baptized into the body through the same Holy Spirit. We're both drinking of the same Holy Spirit. And guess what? We're both filled with the same Holy Spirit. And so as it begins to overflow, you begin to see this beautiful river that begins to flow through the body. Because out of our bellies flows rivers of living water. You put a whole bunch of people together, that's a pretty powerful river. Whew. You guys Okay. Okay, so how do, we, how do we be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because I think there's this mentality as well, which we, we've got to make sure we understand these two things. One is this, that 11-11, come on. I've been seeing doubles nonstop, that's awesome. It means double portion. God's about to pour out greater power than you've ever seen on the body. We're gonna see signs, wonders, and miracles like never before. Um, how, do we, how are we filled with the Spirit? It's important that we understand these two things. When you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. There is a difference between possessing the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit possessing you. Did you hear what I said? There is a difference between you possessing the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit possessing you. Okay? When you give your life to Jesus, you possess the Holy Spirit. What that means is you have Him inside of you. He becomes one with your spirit. Nothing can separate you from that. You will never outsin God's forgiveness. I love that. You will never outsin God's forgiveness. So that's, you, you possess the Holy Spirit inside of you, you become one with your spirit. That happens when you are born again. But there's something else that happens and it happened in Acts chapter two, where they're gathered together in the upper room and they're waiting for the promise, the promise of the Father, which means he has every intention and purpose. His purpose is to fill you. His purpose is for the Holy Spirit to be in your life and all over you and to conquer you, overcome you, and to be everything in your life. That is God's design and purpose for you. It's a promise. God's the greatest promise keeper to ever exist. And God doesn't even exist. Existence comes from God. It's just wild. But God made a promise that you will receive the Holy Spirit if you ask. It's insane. You gotta sit on that for a while. But they're sitting in the upper room, Holy Spirit comes and, and there is a difference. Now they are possessed by the Holy Spirit. So much so that he overcomes and, and overtakes their, their vessels. They begin to speak out in other languages and tongues. Fire appears in the room. Uh, you know, 3,000 people get saved in a day. That's impossible without the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people, one location, suddenly Holy Spirit falls. Holy Spirit falls and all of a sudden, poof, explosion of God's glory and presence and people are coming and they're repenting, they're cut to the heart, they give their life to Jesus and all of a sudden Holy Spirit has just gone from 120 people to 3,000, over 3,000 in a day and it just continues to explode like that, 5,000 another day and just, it's just getting wild, right? So here's what we gotta understand because that happens in Acts chapter two and then all of a sudden, Acts chapter four, they begin to kind of have their first taste of persecution and they get together and they, they make a choice to step out in faith. This is a key thing that you've got to keep remembering. Something external happens to the believers. 
Peter and John get arrested. And it's now, whoa, hold on, okay. Now they're actually starting to arrest people. Now they're actually getting a little bit more intense. So the church gets together, and you know what they do? They don't actually react in fear or in like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? They, can you imagine how scary that is? Just think about that for a second. They're like, whoa, hold on a second. We are now probably going to get arrested, beaten, and, and things are going to get a lot more intense. Are we sure we're in this? And that would be a lot of, you know, if all of a sudden South Africa changed, the next thing, you know, you don't even know. I mean, we've got, I've got a friend in Pakistan who tells me that every Sunday they worship not knowing whether it's going to be their last Sunday together because his friends in churches, it ex, it, there's explosions in churches. Can you imagine what it would be like if you came here today knowing that there's a chance that somebody walks in here and pulls a clip and the whole place explodes? See, that, we don't even understand that. See, you really value something if, if you're gonna come and gather around that. And so you see these guys in Acts chapter four, this happens and they, they pray for something so interesting, they pray for boldness. What they're saying is, Lord, we are choosing to believe and step out in faith. Give us the grace of boldness to continue to preach the gospel despite the stuff that's happening. And guess what the response to faith is? And that's key. Listen to what I just said. Listen to the Holy Spirit's response to faith. He fills them again and he shakes the room. He fills them again. Hold on a second. I thought that they got filled in Acts chapter two. So how did they get filled again? Here's what you need to understand. Being filled with the Holy Spirit possessing you is not a once-off thing. See, we've taught believers what it means to have the Holy Spirit inside of you to be one with him and, and that experience of him filling you. But what we haven't taught believers is how to stay filled. Because again, coming back to the vessel, your soul and your flesh, if you stop filling that with Holy Spirit and you start filling it with external things, it doesn't mean you don't have the Holy Spirit in you anymore, but what it does mean is that he's not being displayed in and through your life. So Holy Spirit can fill you over and over and over and over again. And guess what? He takes great pride and joy in doing that. He loves to fill you. When we say, you know, God inhabits the praises of his people, do you know what that means? Inhabits means to occupy, and occupy means to fill. So I see it this way. When I'm praising and worshiping God, I see it as like the doorway. It's like the funnel for the Holy Spirit to just come inside of me and just fill me afresh. I love the, that's, I feel like that's the sound of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, exactly. And so, so now how do, we, how do we be filled? How do we, how do we live filled? When we wake up every day, we know Holy Spirit is one with us. And so it's not like we're trying to get some external thing to come and touch us. We've got to understand that you don't get the Holy Spirit or you don't, you're not filled by the Holy Spirit by how many days you fast or how hard you've worked or what kind of things you've done for the Lord or did you, you know, give away half your salary or you don't earn it like that. It's a faith thing. And so how do we do it? I think the first thing, which is so important, uh, and I was gonna share this earlier, but I'll share it now, is honesty and humility. We have to start with honesty and humility. We have to start with a, a clear understanding of the fact that we can't do anything without him. I, I don't believe that you need to confess every sin that you do every single day. I believe that when you got saved, there was a confession. You made a confession of your need for a savior. But I believe that the heart posture of that moment should never leave you. That you should always be in a place of realizing your need of the savior. 
So it's not necessarily you've got to write down every sin that you make today and confess it tonight so that you can still be filled with the Holy Spirit. But you are positioned and postured in a place of humility and honesty before the Lord where you're saying, Lord, I know that I need you. I am, I am never gonna allow myself to get to a place where I think that suddenly I've got this thing figured out and I can do it. I cannot. So I always start from humility and honesty before the Lord and I say, Holy Spirit, if you do not work in my life, fill me and use me for your glory, then I cannot do anything. There is no point in me leaving the house today if you don't come. Do you understand what I'm saying? Secondly, there has to be a hunger for God to change things in your life, to, ex, uh, to, to express himself in your life. If you're not hungry for the Holy Spirit to use you, he's not gonna use you, he's not gonna fill you. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you are not desperately hungry for, for God to come and fill this little vessel, for the valve inside of me to be opened up from my spirit so that he can well up and just explode inside of me and begin to express God through this little vessel, if I don't have a hunger and a desire for that, he's not gonna do anything. God's not, you're not a robot. You're a son and a daughter. God responds to desire. God responds to hunger. God responds to faith. He loves the fact that you want to partner with him. You want to, to, uh, to establish alongside God what he's doing on the earth. And so if, you don't, if you're not honest and humble, if you're not hungry for the Lord, he's not gonna do anything. But often what we've got is a lot of Christians that are honest and transparent and, hum and, and, uh, and humble before the Lord. We know, we're like, Lord, I can't do anything without you. And I'm desperately hungry for you. I'm so hungry that most of my time with you is spent on my knees, gripping my face, weeping for God to move in my life. But we miss this third thing that is vital because you can have honesty and humility. You can have hunger for the Lord. But if you don't have this third thing, you seem to actually, without realizing it, suppress the Holy Spirit because he wants to move and there's a way in which he does that which we are not understanding and it's this simple thing, appropriation by faith. What happens is we are honest before the Lord, humble, Lord, I need you. I'm so hungry for you to move in my life. I'm so hungry for you to fill me, for you inside my spirit man to take over my soul and my flesh and to make Jesus known through my life. Lord, I'm so hungry for that. And then what happens is I go, thank you, Lord, that I am filled with the Holy Spirit and that it is your great joy to fill me. And right now, thank you that you are occupying, filling, possessing my soul, my flesh, that my spirit is rising up in authority, that you, Holy Spirit, are Lord of my life and you have complete rule and reign to do whatever you wanna do. Thank you. I receive it right now by faith and I choose today to walk in it. And then what I do is, like I said earlier, I act on what I've accepted to be true, regardless of the feeling, because the feeling will follow. And so maybe that morning you go through this and you, wow, you feel, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged and I'm stirred up and I believe and I've accepted it. I don't feel this, whoa, crazy feeling or anything like that, but I know in my heart and I believe and I've thanked you that you filled me. And then later on that day, you seem to be presented with somebody who's sick. And so what do you do? You lay your hands on the sick and suddenly the power of God flows through and that person gets healed. And you're like, oh my goodness. The feeling follows the truth. Or suddenly you're at work and the next thing you're doing your work and suddenly, whoa, the presence of God just is all over you. And you're like, oh my goodness, I'm so aware of God. Wow, in the middle of nowhere, it caught me off guard. I've had that sitting in restaurants or whatever and suddenly, 
whoa, the love of Jesus just welling up inside of me. I just want to cry. I'm like, oh my goodness, why? Because the Holy Spirit, the feeling follows the truth. He's inside of you. He's filling you. He's, he's working. The feeling's coming. There's different things that God's doing. But what do you actually believe? Are you actually t- using faith, the keys, to, to ignite and turn on whatever you call it? Turn on the, the vehicle of this new creation, this new house that he's created to live in. You can walk in that every single day. And the thing is, we're not walking in victory as believers every day because we're not walking in faith. We're walking by sight. And that's why it gets really difficult. When you walk by sight, it's really hard. And you'll do your best. And maybe for a day or two days or a week, you'll have a great week. And then suddenly, everything just falls apart. We all know that. Because we're walking by sight and not by faith. If we walk by faith, if we understand that if I've chosen to believe, I've accepted it to be true in my life. Now, my faith is that I'm putting trust, reliance, dependence, and confidence in God to make that real in my everyday walk. And so what I do is I actually choose to take a step based on that reality, trusting that now that the Holy Spirit is inside of me, He is going to divinely enable everything that I do. All right. We want to quickly turn to Ephesians. Is everybody okay? Ephesians, let's start in chapter 1. Chapter 1 from verse 18. It says, And I pray that the eyes of your heart, I'm reading from the Amplified, so there's a few extra things. And I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very center and core of your being, may be enlightened, flooded with light by the Holy Spirit, so that you will know and cherish the hope the divine guarantee, the confident expectation to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Uh, and so that you will begin to know what, what the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his power is in us who believe. So he's saying, he's praying that, that, that the, the Holy Spirit is gonna enlighten our hearts so that we would realize this immeasurable, surpassing greatness of his power that is at work within us. In 1 John, it talks about walking in the light. Guess what that light is? To walk in the light is to allow the Holy Spirit to bring the light of God, which enlightens the eyes of your heart to begin to realize the great immeasurable uh, power of the Holy Spirit that's at work within you. you. Are you understanding what I'm saying? It's the enlightenment is that it's a realization that it's his power at work in me. There is a confidence that comes with that. And then he says, these are in, accord, in accordance with the working of his mighty strength, which he produced in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion uh, and far above every name that is named not only in this age and world, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in every realm in subjection under Christ's feet and appointed him as head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and completes all things in believers, in all believers. You are, I don't have time to unpack that, but that is insane if you think about it, that he is Jesus, the authority that he's given Jesus is just basically there is nothing that can ever compete, Okay. And what he's saying is that power 
is at work in us through the Holy Spirit. That's the enlightenment that needs to happen in our hearts. That power, we've been seated with Christ and the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Christ has been put inside of us. It's that power that's at work within us. And then he says, Jesus was made head over, the, over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, the fullness of him, the fullness of who? The one who fills and completes all things in all believers. I don't know, but when I'm reading this, I'm just, seeing, I'm just seeing Holy Spirit. So you go, what does the church look like? What does it look like? What do the believers look like when they get together? Holy Spirit. And the saddest thing to me is the more that I push into this, the more I realize how much he's not. How much we've neglected him. How much we have silenced him. And yet day after day after day, he's faithful and patient and he's waiting. He's waiting for us to allow him to bring the light of God, to enlighten our hearts, to realize that it's his power at work in us. And when we yield and surrender to that, he's gonna begin to move in the church in ways that we've never ever seen before. And he's gonna fill us. We're gonna see the fullness of the presence of God. I don't think you understand what that means. It's a nice thing to sing and a nice thing to say, but when you are in the fullness of the presence of God, we are talking about the glory of God. You'll be done. You will, you will be at the very end of yourself. That is when your fleshly body, this little vessel, will not handle. That's exciting. Okay, Ephesians chapter three. I need to move it, sorry. Ephesians chapter three, uh, verses 16. I love this. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture ever. Ephesians chapter three, 16. May he grant you out of the riches of his glory to be strengthened and spiritually energized with power through his spirit in your inner self so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through your faith. You, you need to go home and you need to read this again and again and again and again. If I had more time, I would just sit on the scripture over and over and over again. I promise you, you need to, you need to slow down and read this. It'll change everything. And may you, having been deeply rooted and securely grounded in love, be fully capable of comprehending with all the saints the width and length and height and depth of his love. And that you may come to know practically through personal experience the love of Christ, which far surpasses knowledge without experience. Listen to this. And I'm gonna read from the Amplified. There's a little tag on the end. Just listen to this. That you may be filled up throughout your being to all the fullness of God so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives completely filled and flooded with God himself. Whoa. Are you understanding? The Holy Spirit wants to enlighten your heart. He wants to bring the light of God in you so that you realize that it's this crazy, great, wild power of Jesus Christ, that authority that cannot, no one can compete. That power is at work inside of you so that you can know every dimension of the depths of the love of God for you. But more than that, that you can be flooded and filled with God himself every moment of every day. And what's so incredible is that God is saying there's one simple thing to do every day that's gonna just unlock this for you to walk in and it's to believe it's faith and you go oh, that's impossible how can it be that easy and God's going oh my goodness it wasn't easy I gave my son for this oh it was so easy God this is way too easy no it's not so easy just so you know you need to go and read the gospels again and find out how hard it actually was for you to have this 
this isn't easy. Jesus paid the ultimate price so that you can actually just by faith access it and walk in what God created you to walk in. It's more of an insult to say that, Lord, this is too easy. That's an insult to God. Think it was easy sending your only son? Rather, Lord, I'm so grateful for the incredible price that you paid that so that by faith, just simply by faith, I can walk in what you've called me to walk in. And now listen to this, right? We've just read there, completely filled and flooded with God himself. Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all that we dare ask or think, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. If you begin to just see this and go, Lord, do you realize what it means to have the Holy Spirit inside of you? Everything that he's just explained, that, that full flooded with God himself, fullness of God in you, understanding that all the depths of the dimensions of his love, being possessed by God, realizing that it's his power at work within you. He says, now to him, just in case you didn't get it, now to him who is able. So you can go, whoa, that's so cool. I wanna be filled with God like that. But how? I don't, I don't understand if you still don't get it. He's saying, now to him who is able. You are not able, but to him who is able to do more, super abundantly more than you could dare ask or think or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, I love this, to him be the glory in the church. Why does he say that? To him be the glory in the church. See, when the church is filled with the Holy Spirit, when believers come together that are spirit-filled, there is no man that gets glory. It is all glory to Jesus. And that's why the Lord is gonna change the way that we do church. To him be the glory in the church. And then I love this, and in Christ Jesus. Meaning that guess what? When you are not in this gathering of believers wherever we are, but you're actually on your own somewhere, if you're in Christ Jesus, to him be the glory. So to him be the glory in the church, the ecclesia, when we gather together, the called out ones, to him be the glory when we gather. But guess what? When I'm in Christ Jesus, to him be the glory. Whether I'm with 500 saints or whether I'm on my own in a boardroom with a whole bunch of scary businessmen, to him be the glory because I'm in Christ Jesus. Throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. Last thing. Matthew chapter 16. This actually, I wasn't planning on sharing this and this morning, the Holy Spirit revealed something to me. Is everybody okay? I promise you I'm wrapping up. I know this is a bit longer than normal. So it's incredible that uh, Jesus, just to set it up, because I don't have time to read the whole thing, but uh, Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are, the, you are the Christ, the son of God. And then Jesus says, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven, pause. What he's saying there is that the, what's incredible about this moment is everybody saw the works of Jesus, but not everybody equated the works of Jesus to 
son of God. Some of them were saying Elijah, calling him a whole bunch of, some of them were even saying he's possessed by the devil. I mean, people were saying a whole bunch of stuff. And so he asks this question based on all of the signs, wonders, and miracles that he performed. He says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of God. And then Jesus says to him, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. What he's saying is, Peter, you don't believe that I'm the son of God based on all the signs, wonders, and miracles and things and what somebody's told you and opinions of men, all that. It's not based on that. It's based on divine revelation of God. What does that mean? It means that Peter, in this moment, understood what faith was. So Jesus is doing all these signs, wonders, and miracles. It's incredible. And he's saying to his disciples, I am the son of God. And others are going, he's Elijah, he's possessed by the devil, he's all these different things, whatever. And the disciples are put in this position now to decide what they're going to accept to be true. And so Jesus presents a question, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. And it's incredible, Jesus says, um, you know, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, little rock, little stone, and on this rock, this big rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The Lord spoke to me about something. Now, we're, yes, we're talking about the revelation that Jesus is the son of God, but I, I found something here that I believe is so much bigger. What Jesus is saying is I will build my church on, on this big rock. What is this big rock? Faith in the fact that Jesus is the son of God. It's not just on the fact that you can say it and yes, I accept that Jesus is the Son of God. No, faith, which means that my trust, my confidence, my reliance and dependence is on the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. So now, guess what he's building his church on? He's building his church on faith in the Son of God. So now you've got this group of people that are a people of faith. They have such confidence in the Lord. They are walking in victory because they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And then this blows my mind. Listen to this. It's because of, so it's because of that faith that Jesus is building on the faith that the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The gates of Hades will not overpower the church because the church has been built on faith in the Son of God, which means that our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in Jesus Christ. Why is it that the devil cannot overcome the church? Because it's not based on our ability and our strength. It's built on the rock, Jesus Christ, faith in the Son of God. All we have to do is be a people of faith and we walk in victory. For this is what overcomes the world, our faith. 1 John 5. Now, uh, verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. Whew, hold on a second. I will give you the keys to the kingdom. He's just explained to us that he's gonna build his church on this rock, faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, I, I will give you the keys. What are the keys? I think the keys are authority and faith. I think the keys are the fact that Jesus has finished the work to give us the same authority that he has. That's why it's his power at work within us. Everything that Jesus has achieved and accomplished, that power is now at work within us through the Holy Spirit. He's given us that authority, one key. Second key, now by faith, by confidence in that finished work, we can bind and loose things on the earth and they will already have been done in heaven. Guess what that means? It means we bring heaven to the earth. 
I don't know if you're catching this, but that means that by faith, by faith, we can release heaven on the earth because of the Holy Spirit who's inside of us. This is why we have to understand why we need to be filled, why we need to live filled with the Holy Spirit. If you, if you forget every other thing, but you just understand that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and you begin to pursue that, you will be far more effective in what God's called you to do than anything else you could possibly try and do. You could fast for 100 days and, and wake up tomorrow and suddenly have faith that God is in you and filled you and you will be more effective with that little thing than you fasting for 100 days. And so God revealed this to me this morning that actually the church is so powerful. It's incredible. Jesus, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. What he's saying is the devil's defeated and guess what? The church is the one that's gonna stand on his head. And the way we're gonna do that is by being a people of faith, by believing that he's the son of God, by being a people that are filled by the Holy Spirit, knowing, and please, I hope I'm, I haven't shared too much. You need to listen to what I said about the Holy Spirit today. You need to be filled. You need to be honest, you need to be hungry and you need to appropriate it by faith. You need to walk in the spirit. And it's not hard, it's by faith. And if we will just live by faith, we are gonna see the Lord move and work in our lives in such incredible ways. A lot of us are living lives that are not victorious. We're struggling, we're in survival mode. And it has to do with faith. And it's not a striving thing. That's why Smith Wigglesworth used to say, you pray once. If you pray twice, it's unbelief. Now, don't make that a formula. That's Smith Wigglesworth. Jesus did pray twice, actually, once. But you've just got to be, you've just got to catch the heart of what he's saying. One time he prayed twice. But you've got to understand what, what's being, what he's sharing. He's saying, can you imagine being a person of that kind of faith? That you have such confidence and expectation in the Lord that you pray and you believe. Amen. See, what we do is we pray and we kind of check, not changing, we pray, not changing, pray, not changing. Lord, are you doing anything? Come on, pray, not changing. It's not faith, yeah. I wanna tell you one of the things that really is a hard one um, for me is this, that uh, your sin doesn't disqualify you, but what does disqualify you is whether you want this or not. You can be the most messed up, struggling person with a whole bunch of things going on and you're really wrestling and trying to get through that and whatever, and God will take you if you have faith and trust in him and he will absolutely make the most beautiful example out of you. But you, you sit without desire for him and hunger for him and you won't experience him. You won't see what he wants to do in and through your life. And that's not a heavy, it's an encouragement to say, man, we wanna be people of hunger and desire. Do you know what people of hunger and desire look like for the Lord? They're not stressed out people. They're not people that are sweating and trying so hard to get God. They're people that are so expectant and excited that God wants to fill them and they're constantly longing and going after more with such joy because God promised that he would fill you. See, hungry people are excited and, and happy because he promised. 
And so if you look at your pursuit of Jesus and it's a really hard, heavy thing, you need to just change your perspective of God. Because maybe your perspective of God is the very thing that's suppressing the Holy Spirit within you. And one more thing that I also just feel to say. God will use somebody who's broken and messed up and make a beautiful example out of him because he, him or her, because he loves to do that. He's in the business of redemption, right? That's what he loves. He loves taking nothing and making it absolutely beautiful. It's so important that we in the church see each other and treat each other the way that Jesus sees us and treats us. One of the most heartbreaking things is that people come to the church to, to encounter Jesus, to be transformed. They experience the Holy Spirit, but then they are still treated and viewed by their own brothers and sisters as somebody that's, that's still stuck in the, the other stuff. And I say this with love in my heart, but it really is something that the Lord wants to stamp out of the church because we are going to see a harvest like never before. And we want sons and daughters that have come from the most horrific, broken things to come in here and experience the new creation that Jesus has designed them to be and then be treated like that by the church so that they can soar and fly into their destinies in God rather than being a family that are constantly holding them to what they once did or used to be. And I'll tell you who does that, Jezebel. She's a demonic stronghold and she's trying to strangle the church. And what I love is that we don't take her on in our own strength, but I promise you, Jesus says, he gave her time to, re, to repent and, and she didn't and he will not tolerate and he will throw her on a bed of sickness along with everybody that entertains her. And so I wanna challenge you with this, you make real sure that your heart is pure before the Lord in this aspect, that actually it is completely reliant and dependent on Him. I am no better than anybody else. I am no better than anybody else. I ought not to think of myself higher than anyone else, but I should take on the nature of Jesus, which is that He took on the form of a servant to serve and love people that were horrific in comparison to Him. He was holy, pure, blameless. He had every reason to treat others as lowly or to treat others according to their sin, but he didn't. He chose to treat us the way that God treats him, which is in perfection. We need to be a community of people that treat each other based on the Holy Spirit and what, what God says about us, not based on your mistakes and your past and the things that you've done. And I don't care if it's seven years ago or five seconds ago, we're a group of people that are always pointing people towards the finished work of the cross. And so by faith, we've been given keys to bind and to loose. And so today I'm binding that demonic spirit. In Jesus' name. And I thank you for the blood of Jesus that's over this house and that's over me right now in the name of Jesus. And I just thank you that that little demon has to run. You have to run, you have no place. No place in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just we glorify you this morning. Holy Spirit, would you 
Would you come and possess us, Lord? Come and fill every single believer in this house, in this body, Lord Jesus. Lord, would you enlighten our hearts with the light of God to realize that it's your power at work within us, Lord Jesus, that we can do nothing apart from you, nothing outside of you, Lord. Father, I thank you that we can never outsin your forgiveness. And so, Lord, I pray that we would stop viewing things through that lens, but that we would actually begin to realize that through the Holy Spirit, we are new creations in Christ. And I pray that we'd be a community that champion one another in that, that encourage one another to walk in the newness of life that Jesus paid for, that we would see a community that looks like you. And more than anything else, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would understand how to deny ourselves, take up our cross, to face the cross, to die to everything that we once were and to take on the nature of Jesus, that we are yoked to you, Lord, that the work that you have for us, we do in partnership with you, that your yoke is easy, it fits perfectly and your burden is light, that the work of the gospel is not hard work, it's a joy because it's the Holy Spirit in us who does it. And so I pray that we would, we would come to know you, Holy Spirit, in such an incredible way that we are one with you, but we ask that you would fill our vessels this morning. Lord, I thank you that we operate in, in your authority and power and not in our own. And everything that I've said today, everything that I've declared and released, I thank you that it's in Christ and not in my own strength. And Father, I just bow before you in humility and say thank you. Thank you for what you do in our lives and our hearts. Thank you for your grace and your mercy over us. Thank you that you are never frustrated or disappointed or tired. Or, Lord, you are always so encouraged. You look at us and you are so blessed because you see your son. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are so in the process and in the journey, but Lord, I, I thank you that you would help us to realize that the process and journey doesn't have to be so long, that we can have your Holy Spirit in us and you will transform and change and renew and make us brand new, Lord, brand new. I pray that we would walk in that, that old things have passed away and new things. You are speaking and declaring and releasing over your children. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work within us. I thank you for the protection of the blood of Jesus over every single life, every heart and every mind. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that we can be the hands of Jesus, the feet of Jesus, the mind of Christ, the very body of Jesus on the earth. And so we bless you this morning, Lord. We bless you this morning, Lord. you're comfortable, would you like to stand? Lord, we just want to trust you this morning for an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we can't fill ourselves. We need you to fill us.
And so, Lord, thank you for your promise. Thank you that you said that you would fill us. And so we just ask, come, fill your children. Possess us, Lord Jesus. Fill our souls and our flesh, Lord Jesus. Come and occupy every single part of our life. Leave nothing untouched. We are so aware of our need for you, Lord. We need you. And I'm so grateful that you love us so much, that you come, make your home inside of us, and you do everything, that you've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's you, Lord. It's always been you, it is you, and it will always be you. Be known in us, be known in my life, Lord. Be known in my life and through my life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, by faith, we appropriate the fullness of the gospel in our lives. And we say, thank you for your blood that enables us to walk with you. And thank you for the oil of your Holy Spirit that makes us new. Thank you today, Lord, that we are filled as long as we are saved and, and in Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we allow you to come. We take out the stops, we remove every obstacle and we let you just begin to well up and flow inside of us. Fill us afresh, Lord. a fresh Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your fullness. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your glory. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us spreads and makes evident everywhere the sweet fragrance of the knowledge of him. But thanks be to God who always, always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us spreads and makes evident everywhere the sweet fragrance of the knowledge of him. What a joy. Father, thank you that you always lead us in triumph. We are in Christ. You are always leading us in triumph. And through us, you are spreading and making evident everywhere the sweet fragrance of the knowledge of him. Thank you that we are the sweet fragrance of Christ and that the Holy Spirit 
is spreading and making evident everywhere the fragrance of Jesus. Thank you that this is our reality. This morning, we make a statement of faith and we accept this as the truth. We believe that this is our reality in Jesus. And I pray that you would stir every heart to act in faith, to live their life with a confidence and an expectation in the Holy Spirit and not in themselves. And I bless this church. I bless every life. I thank you for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that every word that I've preached and shared today, Lord, would it penetrate my heart? Would it just bring life and, and transformation and new life in me, Lord, and in every heart and person in this room? Thank you for the gospel. And I thank you that where the gospel is preached, signs and wonders follow. And so even now, as the Holy Spirit fills, thank you for healing in bodies. Thank you for every bit of pain and sickness to leave right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Back pain gone in Jesus' name. Toothache gone in Jesus' name. Every symptom of sickness gone right now in Jesus' name. Thank you for the electricity of the Holy Spirit that begins to move through every single part of this body. I bless this house, I bless these people, I bless every family, I bless every business, I bless every child and every parent and every marriage. And in the name of Jesus, I thank you for victory that comes from Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord, we bless you. Thank you, God, thank you, God. Man, I feel like we need to give Jesus praise. Can we just love him? Thank you, Lord, we bless you, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. We love you, God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And we thank you in advance for a week of glory, for a week of encounters, for a week of faith, for a week of the supernatural in our lives, for dreams, visions, visitations from the Holy Spirit. Thank you for an infilling and an overflowing in every life. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that everything bows to the name of Jesus. And so every situation, every circumstance, every stronghold that has come against us, thank you that today, as we worship and position ourselves in Christ, that we can walk in victory over those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Give somebody a hug next to you. Release Holy Spirit. Say, be filled in Jesus' name.